Hi, this is Helen, and thank you for joining me for a cup of teal. Teal is shorthand for the future of work. It means bringing your whole self to work, a focus on purpose and self-management. And this podcast is a chat over a cup of tea with the people who are making this happen in health, care and public services. Stories of self-management in action. When I spoke to Sophie, I thought I was hearing the future of social work. Sophie is a social worker who was part of Neighbourhood Care St Ives, a social care pilot developed by Cambridgeshire County Council. The pilot finished at the end of 2019. The work was inspired by Bertzorg, and in this podcast, Sophie explains the difference in working in a different context within social care legislation and public funding. The team were made up of social workers and social care practitioners, and they delivered person-centred, relationship-centred care. One of the radical concepts they used was that no case was ever closed. The team was available to anyone over 18, replacing the long-term social care functions, but with a really strong focus on prevention, not work at the point of crisis. Sophie describes in detail how their self-managed team worked in practice. She talks about autonomy and social support for team members. Could this be the future of well-being for social workers as well as people supported? So I hope you have a cup of tea ready to listen to what the future of social work could be like in my conversation with Sophie. So I work for Neighbourhood Cares St Ives, um, who are a pilot working within Cambridgeshire County Council. Um, We were lucky enough that Cambridgeshire County Council decided to invest some money in doing things a little bit differently in terms of social care. Um, So Neighbourhood Cares is the direct translation of Bietzorg, which is the um, teams that run in the Netherlands, the nursing model of Bietzorg. Um, And I think the feeling was wanting to try and do things differently within this local authority. Lovely. And you've mentioned Bertzorg. How similar or different would you say you were? Well, I think Bertzorg obviously have the, the self-managed teams. They very much work with people at the centre of their practice, building networks around that person, you know, making them feel like a really valuable part of the community. And I think we certainly do all of that. But we also acknowledge that we're working in a very different framework. Mm-hmm. We're working within social care legislation, um, Bjorksorg works within the Netherlands on um, an insurance-based model and obviously we work within a public funded model so it's slightly different there and I think the I suppose that main difference is that there are a lot of differences in you know maybe that medical model and a social care model mm-hmm. although they're doing very different in Bjorksorg you know we're, we're not nurses we're social workers and social care practitioners So as social care practitioners and social workers, how do you serve people? How do you support people? Which part of the traditional system are you replacing? Well, for our pilot area, we're actually replacing all of the sort of what a long-term social care team would do um, and what maybe um, sort of some of the shorter-term interventions would do as well. So we support quite a broad range of people, actually. Our pilot area is originally started with one GP surgery and is now people who live within the community of St Ives but it's anyone who's 18 plus and who identifies themselves as needing support 
So although we're replacing the long-term social care team functions and if people needed adult social care assessments, if they needed um, work around the Mental Capacity Act, we would still do that. But we're also supporting a lot of people in a much more preventative way and really getting to know them early on in their journey within the whole sort of social care system. So it might be someone who's just saying, actually, I've had a change in my health. I'm not really sure what's available to me. I feel really isolated in my community and it's about then working with them to build up their links um, and to plan for the future as well and I think we're really conscious that that preventative work is so important and that we get to know people in that early stage and build a relationship with them and I think that has been incredibly beneficial in the outcomes that we've been able to achieve because we're not just getting to know people at the point of crisis or when their lives have changed, you know, so much that actually looking to make future plans and to work in that preventative way is incredibly difficult sometimes at that point. Thank you. That sounds amazing. So how many people are in your team and how many people are you currently supported? Please give us a a sense of size. So we started off as a a team of four um, for about a year and we've expanded to a team of seven um, with one person working two days a week, two people working four days a week and then the rest of us being full-time equivalents. We support around 400 people on and off, some people more intensely than others, some people we might have some quite short um, conversations with and some some short work with them but actually we're always there and available for them so we try to be as accessible as possible. So does that mean that you don't discharge people then Sophie? Do you stay in contact with them for as long as they want yes yeah and I think that's perhaps where we're a little bit different from some teams and some services is that we don't have what might be sometimes referred to as sort of a case closure process Mm -hmm. we're always there for someone to come back to well we try to be accessible in terms of we've got you know our, our office telephone number we give out cards with our mobile numbers on we have a Facebook page and people might contact us on Facebook or get back in touch with us on Facebook they might email us they might come to a drop-in to see us. There's not really an expectation that actually, if we haven't spoken to you for a couple of months, you know, there's a, a strict referral process back in, into us. It's just a case of you call again because that's the right thing to do, really, and you know us already. I've looked at your Facebook page and it is completely different to um, a Facebook page you'd associate with adult social care or or social work. Um, It's wonderful to see some of the activities um, that you're putting on. I'm not sure activities is the right word, but offering people opportunities to to connect and get together. But also helping people with really practical things. I, I noticed you were asking for support to help somebody set up in a new home. Yes. Yeah. And I think that is one of the benefits of being place-based, being so integrated into our local community and having those connections is that you can rely on the community to respond and be a resource to the people that live there. You know, most people are incredibly proud of the community that they live in and there's reason to be proud of that. You know, if you if you look at that particular chap, he was in a situation where he desperately wanted to move and have a fresh start and needed a little bit more care and support than was available um, where he was living. And within probably three days, we had had enough furniture to furnish his whole flat. People 
offering to go and collect Christian bands and, and taking it to his house um, and that allowed him to move. Wonderful. And I saw there's men's sheds and um, afternoon teas going on um, too. Can you give me a sense of what a typical week looks like for you? And I'm sure you're about to say there's no week is typical, <laughs> but, but give us a flavour of, of the kind of things that, that you do. So I suppose, like you say, there is no typical week. It changes so much from week <laughs> to week. But that, that is part of that being accessible and being contactable is that you may sit down on a Monday morning um, and you may have a plan to, you know, see someone later on in the week. Actually, things change for them. They need to see you that day. So as a team, we would try to coordinate that response. I think people know that although they might have one, maybe what they might think of sort of a key worker for them, we work as a team very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so we you know, they get to know everybody in the team and they know they'll all be able to respond if they have a crisis or they need something from you quickly. Um, But it might be, I suppose, one day you might find yourself doing, you know, an adult social care care act compliant assessment because that's the right thing to be doing for someone. But actually later that day, you might have had a call from someone who says, you know, I'm, I'm really poorly at the moment. I'm in a bit of a pickle. Can you go out? I need my shopping and my prescription collecting. And none of us are precious about the things that we do. We, you know, sort of the mantra that you often hear in our team is um, right thing at the right time. So, mm-hmm. you know, you would go out and you respond to that. Um, we might be involved in setting up some new community events um, within St. Ives or linking in with new community groups. Um, so, for example, last week I was talking to a local arts and prescription class about the team about the things that we do. So sometimes it's about getting your name out there and making sure that people know where to come if they do need us. Um, It might be running drop-ins. It it might be supporting people to make applications for benefits, whether that be on the telephone or sitting down together and doing that. It might be supporting family carers. It's sort of whatever the community and the people that we work with identify as them needing at the time. Although we recognise the importance of being that consistency in someone's life we also recognize that sometimes when we're not always the right person to respond so for you know for example we are very lucky that we've been able to be trained up to order some small pieces assess and order some small pieces of equipment but if someone had you know quite an obvious adaptation or something quite big needing in their house we would work with them to get in touch with the local occupational therapy or the therapy team Um, and although we would stay with them throughout all that that process it's sometimes about engaging the other services within the area and I think the relationships we've been able to build with um, other professionals and other services that work in the area are incredibly supportive of that so our referral routes Um, are good because we know what information we need to get to provide a good referral to our other services and we have a really good open communication with most other professionals which I think is incredibly helpful in trying to coordinate the best support for someone. So you're trained as as trusted assessors and able to manage small pieces of equipment um, as you say as well as fulfilling your social work responsibilities. So that sounds like a lovely blend of some elements of health and some elements of of care too. Is that how you see your role? Yes definitely and I think we really we value the preventative work in terms of supporting people very early on because we know the value when things do change for someone, if they've already built up that relationship with you and they've got a trusted relationship with you, 
then you are so much better placed to work through a crisis with someone and to support them in the way that's most effective for them. And really thinking, if you're thinking sort of person-centered and holistic practice, it's incredibly hard to do that sometimes when you're meeting people at the point of crisis. And I think we're able to help people to plan better for that. And then it makes our responses, hopefully, a bit more useful for them when that happens. And I'm sure some people listening are wondering how you're being evaluated and what evidence there is and what it costs. So where are you up to? Because you said you're a pilot. Where are you up to in the evaluation of the pilot so far? So we're being externally evaluated. Um, So we provide information to our evaluators. They are doing um, case studies, interviews with other professionals and people that we support. They get data from the local authority to to feed into um, their overall report, which will come out in October this year. Um, We have had an interim report, um, but they're very much building on that. There wasn't so much sort of figures in the interim report, but it did give a lot of feedback about the, the outcomes that were being um, achieved by the team, particularly in terms of the impact on staff uh, morale and the impact, I guess, the benefits of working in that self-managed team way, but also um, the benefits for individuals and really being linked into their local community and feeling like valued members of their community. Thank you. And I'm sure, again, some people listening might say, well, that sounds like some of the best elements of social prescribing or community-led support. Um, But what also makes you different is, as you've just alluded to, the fact that you're self-managing. So please tell us a bit about what that looks like in practice. We started off as four members of the team, all employed um, in the same job role. We organically expanded later on down the pilot. And I, I say organically in terms of we were able to recruit our own um, additional staff, which I think was a is a really important aspect of being a self managed team. They're not just looking for the skills that are right for the team, but actually looking for people who have the right values um, and are committed to working in the way that we want to work. For us, it's very much about equal say as well. So there are three different levels of employment within the team, but the, the differences in those are mostly about being able to sign off budget in terms of social care budgets for example um, and whether you would hold a caseload or not certainly there's an equal say within the team and that is the feedback that all of the team members will often talk about the fact that when we make decisions they are very much as a team and that will be in practice as well so for the individuals that we support but that's also for how the team works it's also about how we spend any team budget and I think part of that is we've all got those same values we've got the the same goals and I think a self-managed way of working is really supportive of that and I think certainly you know in terms of for myself getting into social work you don't become a social worker to fill out paperwork and to sort of blindly follow processes you know you want a certain level of autonomy because you want to be able to put your skills and your training into practice And I think there's certainly a feeling that we can do that and that we're best placed to make decisions in terms of um, funding and and the way that budgets are used for individuals because we know them best. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've been able to build up a really good picture with them about the outcomes that they want to achieve. So 
there's a really good fit from what you're saying between how social workers want to work and self-management. Mm-hmm. And often in self-management, and I know in, in Burtzog's uh, experience, that some of the roles that are done by a manager are devolved to the team. How does that work for your team? Are there specific roles? Yes, yes. So we have specific roles. Um, and again, that's about, I think, being accountable and about knowing who's going to be doing what that's really helpful um, for the team to be able to to know that actually my colleagues got that in hand so I can step back away from that for example there's one of us that leads on community development I lead on on sort of quality assurance and I lead on maybe some things that are more legislatively based um, in social work um, and the legislation there we have um, someone who will link in with the rehabilitation and reablement services so we've all and we've we've tried to sort of set them all based on the skills um, and the things that people feel they either have a real interest in or feel that they could do a really good job of. Mm-hmm. Brilliant brilliant so if I was a fly on the wall in one of your meetings what would I see what's your meeting structure like? I certainly sometimes people feedback in terms of self-management there's might be maybe a misconception that you you sort of make off the cuff decisions <laughs> or whatever you feel like doing on the day but actually I think it makes us incredibly disciplined and the team meetings because we are very conscious that we've got a short amount of time there are certain things that we desperately want to achieve so we'll we'll sort of set roles within the team meeting you know we will put proposals forward about you know, certain things that we want to either have a decision about or we need to discuss information that we need to disseminate as the team. Someone will be keeping a check of the time so that you don't go over, um, say, if I put a proposal forward and I said, oh, it's only going to take five minutes, then I've I've got five minutes (laughs) to Mm -hmm. put that proposal forward to the team. And then you make a decision whether actually, you know, you, you take that forward to another meeting, if it's going to take longer, you allocate more time, knowing that actually you might have to take something off the, that said agenda, but you make the agenda at the beginning of the meetings, which is really helpful for you to keep on track. And I think having ownership of your proposal, it's normally something that you feel quite strongly about in terms of the team making a decision. Hopefully a decision is made within the meeting. But I mean, there are times that you make a proposal and actually your other team members reflect on it and think that's not the right thing to do. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, the then it's still that team decision. You can't be sour about it not going forward. And how does it work with back office support? Because lots of self-managed organisations have a small central office support, but you're part of um, a big council. So how are you managing that? So our back office support is often within the county council structure. And we made that decision because actually, you know, that, that left us with our space and time to focus on practice and outcomes that we wanted to achieve as a team so so things like our human resources um you know getting our mileage paid and things like that are all sat within the county council which is probably quite different from most long-term social care teams we do have a neighborhood cares level one post within that post that person may do some administrative type tasks but a lot of that job is community focused Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not by any means a traditional back office support someone you know who will will be doing your annual leave (laughs) calculations so although the level one post is there for some support in that area we as a self-managed team we're making the decisions about 
our cover for certain days about, you know, if, if members of the team are off unwell, making sure that we have enough cover within the team if someone's off on annual leave. And I think that helps to reduce that, that sort of back office that's needed. And are there things that the council still needs to agree or somebody else needs to sign off for the team? So some, for example, like um, residential and nursing care placements are signed off within a traditional panel format. But then because the pilot is, at the moment, we only work with people who are living in the community. So I suppose that budget then when that person, if they were to move out of the community and move into a residential or nursing home, they would be living outside of our pilot area. So I guess mm-hmm. it's it's not it's it's our job, I guess, to make sure that we've put the right evidence together to say that that is the right decision for that person. And do you hold any budgets yourself as a team? We do. We hold the um, budget for our um, community-based care and support. So any services that would be commissioned after a Care Act, adult social care assessment, so a Care Act compliant assessment. So would that be, um, for example, being able to um, offer somebody a direct payment or an individual service fund or a personal budget? Is, is that what you mean? Yes, so, so services that would be commissioned um, after a Care Act compliant assessment and um, someone meets that two-step um, Care Act Um, procedure in terms of having eligible care and support needs so domiciliary care and support direct payments maybe um, support to attend things like day centres in the community and what about the support to the team so again a lot of self-managed teams will have a a coach or some other support do you have a a coach to the team we do so um, we have the neighbourhood cares manager post is our our coach but also our heat shield Mm-hmm. So it's, I guess the idea is to enable us to be able to focus on our day-to-day running of the team and the support that we provide to individuals and working alongside individuals and other professionals. Um, so that's some of that sort of maybe more strategic working. I imagine, you know, it's a, it's a hard job for our, <laughs> for um, the Weezer, Heat Shield and our coach to do both. <laughs> Tell me a, a bit about that. What have been some of the challenges of essentially embedding a self-managing team, you know, as part of, of a council? Well, I think we're because we're doing something very different and we've been enabled to do something very different. You know, there, there will be people who are not as on board with that or, or are not as comfortable with that change. And I guess that's our job then to really show the outcomes that we're able to achieve by working this way and really show not just the outcomes I guess for individuals that we work with but for staff as well and I think we've all found it beneficial to be given the freedom to be flexible in our responses to people to be able to make decisions that we think are right for our community in terms of the way that we work. And some people would assume that if you're taking a role that includes covering for each other over sickness or holidays and because that's traditionally a job of a manager that the role must be more stressful what, what would you say to that? I, can, I Probably I suppose I can speak mostly for myself in terms of that it, it doesn't feel stressful in that sense I think if you have respect for your colleagues and you are all committed to working in that way the stress is not so much in terms of, oh my gosh, we have to get this covered because we're all really committed to the team and working in this way. It's 
just much more of an open dialogue. You know, it's a case of, you know, I thought I was going to be able to do this today. I really can't. You're my colleagues. Um, how can we look to to resolve this, really? And I think it, being in that self-management structure and maybe taking away that hierarchical aspect of a team helps with that open communication in that way. There's not, I suppose, if you thought about it, it, it was your manager saying, actually, you've got to work on Tuesday because we don't have anyone else to do that. This this very different when you're all sat together, sort of saying, actually, this is, you know, we need some cover on Tuesday. How do we, how do we think that we move forward? And it's a team decision there. It's not, you know, maybe fear. there's not that feeling of a, it's one person's decision. It's very much a team decision. And this will feel like a really, really huge shift for some people listening. What what training and support did you get around self management? Because that's a very different way of working. Yes, yes. So we um, we had some support from Yitzog UK, but also some of it was figuring it out ourselves in terms of how we were going to work most effectively. Because I can imagine that for different teams, there are perhaps different dynamics within the relationships. And I think in terms of your, you, you being with your colleagues, actually, we often say you don't all have to be best friends, but you have to very much respect each other. And that's a key part of that. So the County Council were able to give us some support from the UK and Ireland, but a lot of it was also our own research. Brilliant. Thank you. This is so exciting. What happens next, though, Sophie? What if they say the pilot's been so successful, we want to double the size of it and go to 800 people being served and supported by you? What would happen then? Uh, well, we don't know next steps yet, unfortunately. So we we have our evaluation coming out in October. Um, so we're hoping that some decisions will be made by October. And how big do you think your own team could get? Because I know with Birtzog, there's a limit of 12. Um, Do you see your team getting bigger and bigger if the evaluation is very positive and there's funding available? Or do you think there's a natural size limit? I think there is a natural size limit. Um, I mean, obviously, that will be comparable to maybe the the number of individuals and the size of the community that you support. Mm -hmm. But there is the feeling also that actually you can maybe be too big. Um, and maybe the challenges that that would bring in terms of self-management, it's almost important to not be too big and that it probably works better on a slightly smaller size. I think certainly in terms of enabling that equal voice into the team, that would potentially be quite hard if you were a very large team and it's probably a very different dynamic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I completely. And what, what advice would you give to other people who are interested in following in your footsteps. I'm really interested that it sounds like you got a balance of getting some advice and support and researching what other teams are doing and developing your your own way of doing it. So are there things that you wish you'd known early on or or what would your, your recommendations be to others? One of the biggest things is, um, is I suppose that importance of sometimes maybe pushing back and challenging the way that things are done as is, that's a really big part of it. And that can feel quite uncomfortable when you first start. And certainly when you already have things with an organisation as well, it can feel uncomfortable to sort of say, actually, no, we don't think that's the right way to do this. We think that we need to be doing that like this. We've got better at that as time has gone on. 
And I think that's, yeah, that's that's one of the really important ones. Don't be afraid to actually say this is the right thing to do. As long as you're working legally, you're working within the legislation that is enabling you to do that, then, you know, you have, you have evidence to back you up as to why you should be working in that way. I think the other thing is maybe for us, I think it was very important to be able to grow our team organically, be able to recruit our own staff, because... I suppose you could find, you know, the most wonderfully skilled people in the world, but they may not be a fit for your team, or they may be skills that you've already got in the team. So it's, I think it's quite important for teams to be able to recruit staff themselves, because then that, that really helps to build the, the dynamic of the team. It helps to really round out the skills in the team. That's been something that's been really important to us. There's lots of you know, the, lots of the people who work within the team have all sorts of different backgrounds and that has been incredibly helpful in us all learning. So one of the other things maybe is thinking about peer learning and the importance of that. So we hold regular reflective practice sessions and we will lead on that depending on what we think we need at the time. The person with the most knowledge um, will lead on that. And I think that peer learning and training is another really important one. Not only does it help you to really understand, but actually it's also really important because, you know, you're all helping each other to grow as practitioners. And when somebody new joins your team, how do you enable them to learn about the culture and what self-management looks and feels like and, and how they can play a role in that? Yeah, so we have sort of a handbook within the team about the values and how we work, I guess, sort of shadowing, being involved as possible in team meetings and other decisions. Because I think some people come in and think, oh, actually, I, you know, I, I shouldn't be making or helping with these decisions because I'm new. But actually, that's an incredibly important perspective sometimes mm-hmm. to be able to come in and say, why are you doing it like that? Or what, what was the reason for the decision to do things like that? you know, trying to encourage someone as soon as possible to to challenge in a constructive way um, because it may, I think sometimes when you're all working together day in, day out, it's really helpful sometimes to have someone new come in and say, oh, I'm just wondering why why you're doing things the way that you're doing so that you can reflect Um, because reflection time is is a really key aspect as well in making sure, I guess, that, that we're moving things forward and we're not stagnating at all. And you've mentioned this twice, Sophie, this is so fascinating. It sounds like courage. It sounds like you have to be prepared to challenge the status quo, challenge the way things have been traditionally done. And you're showing a new way of doing that. But also recruiting people for values that says we expect you to challenge us and to challenge each other Mm -hmm. and to keep reflecting on what we're doing and how we're working and how we're working together. And that sounds quite incredible that doesn't sound like a typical team that you see every day well I think that we're all incredibly passionate about the work that we do and we're incredibly passionate about as I said earlier doing the right thing at the right time being really compassionate professionals and really helping people to build the networks that they need around them to be to be able to really be resilient um, to feel like they're valued in their community um, and to get the best outcomes for people as well. And I think that's part of that 
maybe success in, in achieving those outcomes with people is that we're all really committed to that. That recruitment process is incredibly important in finding people who, who do have that, that same mindset. And I can, you know, it's, it's maybe not the same if, if someone is recruited, you didn't have anything to do with that recruitment process, and then you start working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in this um, team and within the pilots, we've been really lucky to be able to recruit people who have the skills needed in the team, but also have the right attitude Absolutely. To work in a self-managing team, you need both the compassion um, and skills that you've described, but also an aptitude to, well, a desire and an aptitude to want to work in a self-managed way and be prepared to have different relationships with your colleagues than you do just being managed in a traditional way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and that autonomy, I guess, that comes with self-management and you know, as much as we we work within the legislative guidelines and there are certain duties that we're never going to be able to change in that, that, because that is the way that we should do them. But you have autonomy in terms of the flexibility of your responses and how you respond to individuals' needs. Um, and there's a, I think there is the feeling of being as flexible as possible, but actually having more control over the outcomes that we can achieve for people because you're doing it as you think it should be done and as as you're being led by the person essentially if you think of person-centered practice you know we're very much being led by the by the people that we work with and how they best feel they need to be supported and being a self-managed team means that we can say okay so that sounds like something that we can do so let's do that I very much think that you are paving the way for social work for the future, because if you look at some of the research around stress, um, and particularly Professor Pfeffer's work around um, stress in health, he says that there are two things we need to pay attention to, autonomy and social support. And what you've described is a way of working with autonomy and a really tight-knit, close team environment. that sounds like is could be the best for social work well-being as well as the best for the practice you can deliver. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that the pilot is evaluating actually about, you know, the, the benefits for staff and, and whether that will um, have an impact on retention of staff. I mean, certainly if you ask me, do I work less hours than I used to as a social worker in long-term teams? I, I probably don't work any different hours, but am I less stressed or do I feel like you know there's there's different outputs for me as a professional yes I do and I've, I've it's been really incredible to work in this way and I can't imagine that there won't be benefits found within the evaluation in terms of us as staff. Thank you my final question is can you imagine yourself going back to working in a hierarchical way? I can't <laughs> um you know, at this moment in time, this feels like the right way as a social worker to be working. It feels like we're achieving outcomes that, you know, you, you desperately always want to achieve as a social worker. And, you know, as much as it sounds cheesy, it's allowed me to be the social worker that I wanted to be. Wonderful. That is a great phrase to finish on. Thank you so much, Sophie. Would you join me again in a few months and tell me what else you've been trying and learning on this journey? Oh, yes, definitely. Brilliant. Let's connect again soon. But thank you. This has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you for listening. 
I'd love to hear your reflections. Please tweet me. I'm at Helen at WB Teams. This podcast is a companion to Open Teams. On this podcast, we share the voices and stories of pioneering organizations in health, care, and public services. And on Open Teams, you can see the documents that they're using. Have a look at openteams.co.uk. And if you're interested in wellbeing teams, please come and find me on LinkedIn, where I share a weekly two-minute film, or my blog site, ellensanderson.net. And finally, if you're interested in self-management and need some support along the way, I'd love to hear from you. I'm at helen at wellbeingteams.org. Thank you.